sitting here thinking as I am getting a little warm in this summery weather. A week ago it was snowing where I was, so yeah, it's winter north of the equator. And um, so you don't just fly to another continent, you fly to another season, you fly to another, oh, it's, yeah, that'll mess your head up. So anyway, good to be back, good to be, uh, good to be here with you. And um, as we open the word this morning, let me pray for us, and we'll see what God has for us out of Psalm 90. Father, I thank you for your word and for the way you speak to us in every season of life, no matter what we're going through, no matter where we are at this moment. You are with us in it, and your word speaks truth and wisdom to us. So by the power of your spirit, bring this word alive and help us to take it in and be changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You might be like me. You forgot that <clears throat> the service times had changed for these, these weeks right now. I got here this morning and I thought, you know, I know summers are a little slow, but this is ridiculous. We had a band in me, and that was pretty much it. And I thought, maybe I'm just preaching to the band this morning. So I'm glad the rest of you finally showed up. That was nice. <laughs> so I've been sitting here for a while. Um, as I said, for the past five weeks, I've been traveling in the States, where I'm from, obviously, and it was the first time in five years that we enjoyed Christmas with family, and all 25 of us were together, traveling from three continents and three states in the U.S. There were four generations of us, from my father down to my youngest and newest nephew, who is six months of age. I won't tell you how old my dad is. He wouldn't like that. Sue and I also traveled to six states, and we spent time with dear, dear, longtime friends, some from our missionary days when we were in China, others from our earliest days in ministry from before, when we, before we were even married, we stopped to take a look at our home, which we still have in Los Angeles, which we actually purchased from my grandmother. So it's been in our family for a little while, and I purchased it from her when she moved out and into a retirement home. So we have a lot of history and many memories in that home. I really can't remember when we've had such a trip where we have spent so much time in the places and with so many people that have shaped us and formed us as a couple and as a, as a family. It was a rich time from that perspective. But on more than one occasion, as we were traveling and visiting with people, someone would ask us a fairly obvious question. It's a question that I get asked here as well, especially in the last year or so. Which place feels more like home to you? Australia or America? It's certainly not a question that we are unfamiliar with, having lived in China for nine years. But for some time, for, for, for some reason, this time, that question invited more reflection and time for me to to really think about it, 
It's as though God was saying to me, I want you to sit in that question for a while and ponder it. What is my true home? And in that place of reflection, God took me to this psalm, Psalm 90. If you have your Bible, turn here with me as we look at this together. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like glass, grass that is renewed in the morning, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants and satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Interestingly, this is the only psalm we have that was written by Moses. Most of the, the psalms are written by David, or many of the psalms are written by David. He certainly is the most prolific of all the psalm writers. But the fact that Moses writes these words is significant, I think. Because remember the history of the people that he has led for so many years. Go back to Abraham and who, who God had called out of Ur of the Chaldees, far to the, to the east of, of this area of, of Israel. Abraham was a nomad, he, and God led him on a very circuitous path to the area we now know as Israel. Through a, a severe famine, God's people wound up in, in Egypt, initially a place of blessing, but that place of blessing ultimately becomes a place of slavery for them. And they wound up sojourning in that place over 400 years. Sojourning, an important word. Not settling, but 
sojourning, a temporary stay in a place. And ultimately, Moses, through Moses, God led his people out of that place into a a place of freedom. Through 40 years of wilderness wandering and then to the border of of the promised land, and now at the end of his life, Moses is reflecting back over these years. And he writes these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all these generations. What is a dwelling place? We think about that, we think about dwelling places, and what does that mean? What does that, what does that conjure up for us? A, a dwelling place, a place where we are known, and a place where we know other people. It is a place of safety, a place of security, a a place, hopefully, of love, a place of permanence. What does it mean that God is our dwelling place? Augustine makes the observation that God is our fatherland. He is our homeland. We think of dwelling places as as physical residences, a a place with an address and a postal code. The children of Israel longed for that kind of a place, a, a promised land where they would no longer be slaves, they would no longer be nomads wandering the earth. But Moses reminds these people and he reminds us that our deeper home, our deeper sense of identity is not in a place. It is in God himself. See, a longing for a dwelling place, a longing for a home is really a longing for an identity, isn't it? Who are we? When I lived in China, Chinese people have a very interesting question. They ask you, not so much, where are you from? But they ask the question in a very different way. If you ask me where I'm from, I would say, I'm from Los Angeles. That's where I was born. But in China, we ask a question very differently. Nida Laojia, where is your family ancestral home? Where is that? Well, if you were to ask me that question, I wouldn't say Los Angeles. I would say Philadelphia. I've never lived there but my father was born there. And my family traces their history to Philadelphia for more than 300 years. Before that, the south of England. Where's my family home? Philadelphia. And I find a sense of my identity and my sense of who I am as a person is connected to the eastern side of the United States, though I haven't actually lived there. It's an interesting way of thinking about it. But what can this mean but that the core of my identity, the substance of who I am, is not physical, but spiritual? Where is my family ancestral home? Well, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in every generation. 
You see, the real me cannot be fully realized or experienced in, in physical descriptions or local terms. The real me is in the substance of my soul and who I am spiritually in my relationship with God. Lord, you are my dwelling place. Not Egypt or slavery, not wilderness wandering or, or promised land, not America or Australia or any other nationality. You and you alone form the substance and the fullness of who I am. The things and the places of this life will pass away. But God endures, as Moses says, from everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past on into eternity future. And we dwell in him and we dwell with him. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. And nothing in this earth, nothing in this life can change that. All the uncertainties, all the inconstants of life, there is one certainty and one constant. God is himself. God is present. God is there. God is with us in the midst of everything. I have packed my suitcase and moved house from one side of the planet to the other a couple of times. But my real dwelling place, my true home, my true identity are not found in a location, but in the person and presence of God himself. And that never changes. You see, this psalm really is a reflection of that truth that in whatever season or whatever situation we are in life, God is with us. We dwell in him regardless of what is happening. This is the only psalm we have attributed to Moses, as I said, and it was probably written in the context of Numbers chapter 20. And I might encourage you at some point to look at that chapter because there are some very significant events in Moses' life that shape our understanding of this psalm. As Moses is reflecting on the death of Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother. And he's reflecting on his sin of striking the rock in the wilderness and, and, and what happens is, as a consequence of that. And so the, the psalm is a reflection on the one hand of the, the brevity of life and that helps us, I think, to understand the note of sobriety that comes through this psalm. It, indeed, it almost even has a harshness in some of the words that he chooses, but he's reflecting back on these experiences. But it also has a deep and quiet confidence in God as his, his constant and steadfast hope in the midst of everything. It's a psalm of contrasts depicting the eternal greatness of God alongside the, the frailness of man. Look how he describes the, the majesty of God. He, he emphasizes two things. First, 
He describes God's power in creation. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the, the earth or the world or all of things. That God is the creator of all things. He is the, the, the creative genius behind everything in the world and in the universe. And, and it describes and it displays his glory and his power. Paul tells us in Colossians that by him all things are created, whether visible or invisible, thrones, dominions, powers, authorities, all of those things, they were created by him and through him and for him. Nothing exists apart from the creative imagination and power of Almighty God. But secondly, Moses tells us that God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, he is the one constant amidst an ever-changing world. In God, we find all the things that we most deeply long for and look for and desire in a homeland. Safety, security, permanence, identity, a place where we are deeply known and deeply loved. And so against the backdrop of God's eternal greatness, Moses reflects on two truths about people, about each of us. He says, first of all, we are frail and our time on this earth is temporary. Look at verses three through six again. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. It flourishes and is renewed in the evening. It fades and withers. In contrast to our God who is eternal, our life feels brief. It feels temporary. The older I get it seems the more the years go by quickly. I remember my grandparents telling me that when I was younger and I was thinking, yeah, I don't buy a word of that. Well, now that I'm well into my 60s, I'm buying those words and say, yeah, that's true. My wife often tells young mothers, the days are long, but the years are short. They're gone long before you're ready for them to leave long before you know it. Did you catch all those images that Moses uses to depict the brevity of life in this passage? Grass and flowers and things that come and go. To be honest, we need not look any further than our own country to see the reality of this, don't we? We have all witnessed the horrors and the uncertainty of the devastating fires that have swept away forests and homes, and we have watched helplessly as livelihoods have vanished in a blaze. Everywhere we traveled in the States, we were constantly asked by people about the fires People who offered words of concern, be assured that other people are praying for us. 
I never felt so Australian as I did when I was so far away. You feel that when you're at a distance. Coming from California, we too have experienced the enormous devastation of a wildfire that, that sweeps through and leaves a wake of destruction. I'm very familiar with this. It's been a part of my life forever, it seems. And we could easily insert our experience in this passage. That's exactly what Moses intends here. Interestingly, though, another word for dwelling place there in verse 1 could be translated just as easily, refuge. And that seems so appropriate and meaningful in light of our existence and our, our experience. Lord, you have been our refuge in all generations. In our frailty, we have a sure refuge in our, in our eternal God. The world can be swept away with a flood or a fire, but God is our refuge. And that's what gave rise to Isaac Watts' words to the hymn, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Comes right here out of this, out of this psalm. But look at the second truth that is summed up uh, in verse 8, this, this other truth about us. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. And in verse 10, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. You see, not only are we frail, but the world in which we live is broken, it is fallen. It is the, the reality that dogs us throughout these days of, and years of our lives. And as Moses rightly points out, we, we deserve God's judgment. And no doubt Moses feels this very keenly because God told him he would not enter the promised land. He is feeling that sense of judgment as he sees the promised land, but he can't enter into it. It is sobering to reflect back on life and see those parts that we, we really wish weren't part of our biography. And every one of us has those chapters. And scripture does not gloss over the blemishes of, of God's choicest servants. Moses, David, Abraham, Peter, who in our study of Mark were reminded of his of his denial of Jesus, Paul, a persecutor of the church. Every one of them was flawed, every one of them broken, but every one of them redeemed by the grace of God. And every one of us is flawed. Every one of us is broken. Every one of us is redeemable by the grace of God no longer a slave, a free person in God. We rightly deserve God's judgment, and we are thankful for his grace that has spared us through the blood of Jesus. We have all been through hard times, 
Brett, I, I appreciated your opportunity to reflect on that, but what is the blessing that God has for us? That's the hard time is not the final story. And it's why I'm, I'm grateful this psalm ends with a word of grace. Yeah, it reflects on the difficulties of life, but Moses doesn't stay there. He moves to this place of grace. He, he concludes the psalm with a beautiful prayer for God's grace in the light of his very sobering reflection. His reflections don't lead him to despair, but, but rather lead him to reflect on the manifestations of God's grace in the light of our difficulty and our, our human condition. It might be exactly where you are today. Yeah, this is true. This is where I am. But what is God's grace inviting me into? He asks for three things. First, he asks for a heart of wisdom. As he reflects on the brevity of life, wisdom, wisdom is birthed, as we see, out of the honest and sober reflection on the greatness of God and our true human condition. God's holiness, God's majesty, his eternal nature, his creative genius and power, and our true condition as, as broken and frail, sinful, yet very redeemable people. These kinds of reflections ought to grow in us a heart of wisdom. And again, Moses is concerned not about the physical things of life, but he's concerned about the heart. He is more concerned about our reality of our true nature as spiritual people. One observation I have made over the years is that growing old is inevitable, but growing up is optional. And some people don't choose to grow up even as they grow old. Wisdom takes the lessons of life and it sees them through the lens of God's truth and God's perspective, and then it acts accordingly. Wisdom is that beautiful combination of right thinking and right action at its very highest level that reflects the heart of God in our words and in our actions. Secondly, he asks for deep contentment and joy in the love of God at verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. What satisfies your heart? Is it always craving, wanting, looking, grasping for more? No, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. Remember the words of Augustine, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they find their rest in you. You see, the only thing that can secure that kind of contentment and joy is a heart that is satisfied with the experience of God's love. What if he never gave you another thing? Is it enough that he satisfies you with his presence and his peace and life. Third, he asks for work that is meaningful and enduring, a vocation that goes on and on. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands 
establish, literally make permanent the work of our hands. For the past 25 years or so, I I have lived with a very deep conviction that that God had called me to engage in a ministry of, of mentoring young men, most of whom were at the beginnings of their own ministry. And to be honest, it has been one of the most rewarding, one of the richest experiences of my life. For my 60th birthday, Sue contacted as many of them. She did this without my knowledge. She contacted as many of those men as she could, as she, as she had uh, contact information for. She contacted as many as she was able, and on my birthday, she presented me with a stack of letters written by these men from across the years. Every single one of them recounted specific lessons that they had learned during our year together. And many of them recounted what they were doing now. Some of them I haven't seen for 20 years or more, scattered around the world, literally. So they were telling me where, where, where God had taken them in their life and, and the ministries they were involved in and what their life looked like at this point. Some talked about how that year we spent together shaped their character and their life and their ministry in a way that I had never dreamed would happen. And as I read those letters, I was reminded of these words at the close of this psalm. Let the favor of the Lord, the Lord our God be upon us and establish, make permanent the work of our hands. In, in, in the light of our human transience here, here was an eternal spiritual heritage. What will endure into eternity? the word of God, and the hearts of men and women. You want to engage in eternal work, live it in the word of God, and touch the lives of other people. Parents, that is why your work as a parent, your vocation in raising your children, is so valuable, so needed. And I bless you for it. And I also understand the tears and the agony and the tiredness. I get that too. There's nothing more important. The greatest legacy any one of us has to leave is a spiritual legacy, pointing people to Jesus. By God's grace, our influence will continue long after we're gone. My greatest desire is not to build a monument, but to build a legacy of faithfulness. Let this work endure generation after generation, even after I'm gone. I think this psalm really asks us to reflect on some really important questions about life. What am I really living for? Am I living for today or am I living for eternity? What really is my life all about? And something I would really encourage you to reflect on, how do I dwell in God every day? I love that little book written by Brother Lawrence. 
practicing the presence of God? How do I live in that reality? Am I cultivating, am I nurturing the reality that God himself is my dwelling place wherever I am in whatever circumstance I'm in? Let me pray for us as the band comes back up and we close our service. I encourage you to spend some time reflecting on those thoughts. What does it mean to dwell in God? To live fully your life in him? Father, you indeed are the one constant in the midst of an ever-changing world. You indeed are, are our dwelling place, generation after generation, day after day, year after year. And give us a vision of what that looks like in 2020. What does it look like to live this year recognizing fully who we are in you because of the work of Jesus. Help us by your grace to live fully in your presence. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus.